This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. Today, we're talking about comics in schools. How do they get there? And how do teachers and kids use them once they're there? We will find out. Today, we're talking to Kathy G. Johnson, who is a cartoonist and also an educator. And she's going to tell us about all of these things, which will be amazing. Kathy, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you started working in comics, and what you're doing now? All right. Um, hi, I'm Kathy G. Johnson. I'm a cartoonist. Um, I have multiple uh, comics out and multiple graphic novels. Um, my newest one is titled The Breakaways. It's from first, second. It's for middle grade students. Middle grade being a word that only publishing uses and never have I heard people in a school context use the words <laughs> middle grade. I'm going to put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So how did you first start start reading comics? So I basically started with the newspaper when I was a really, really young kid. Um, then I moved on to Archie. I was a big Archie nerd. And then I bought like the first issue of Sailor Moon when it got translated. And then it was just manga all the way through. And I was like that age of seven-year-old, eight-year-old where Tokyo Pop was bringing manga into the bookstores. And I like tried so much to buy comics from a comic book store, but it was so scary and like so like violent and sexy in them. And so I was like, I can never go into a comic book store because I'm a seven-year-old child. But then uh, I could go into bookstores easy enough. And so I like read every single manga as it got translated, essentially. And then I grew up into an adult. (laughs) (laughs) So... Now, as well as a cartoonist, you work as an educator. So can you tell us about how you started doing that and what sort of comics education you do? Yeah. So when I uh, I graduated as an undergrad and then I went home to Minnesota for a year and then I moved to Providence, Rhode Island um, when I was 22. And in Providence, I was known as like a cartoonist and a printmaker And so people in the scene in Providence, artists in the scene were like, oh, Kathy Johnson is moving to our town. Let's try to find her a job. And then so one of the first jobs that was offered to me was actually as a comic book teacher in a library. I was a teaching assistant to uh, Walker Metling. He runs um, his like comic education program is called the Providence Comics Consortium, the PCC. And he teaches elementary, middle school age kids at public libraries around Providence and all around Rhode Island. Um, So I started teaching um, as his assistant and I was like, "Uh, I don't want to be a teacher. That seems dorky. And then I was like, oh, this is the best. This rules because kids come up with really awesome ideas for comic books constantly. And I just want to like hang out with them and draw all the time. So it was like really I realized how much being a teacher and being an educator was almost like the purest form of art because you're just talking about creating all the time with kids Um rather than a lot of the stuff that actually your podcast talks about, which is like, there's so much business in art when you're an adult. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so I realized that was like a way I could tap into that purity of what of creativity was actually teaching. So 
And so are you mostly teaching kids how to make comics or are you teaching them about comics that have already been printed or? Yeah. So I actually, I'm an art teacher now. So I started back, I guess, seven years ago now as an art teacher, an art educator after school. And then I went and got my master's degree in teaching and learning and art and design from the Rhode Island School of Design. So basically a master's degree in art education from RISD. Um, And so I'm mostly an art teacher. However, I've worked in many situations in which I'm working with kids who are from underprivileged backgrounds. And so I love to get in literacy and English language arts as much as I can through the lens of art education, because I think art education gets to be really, really fun. And then they are really excited about writing, which isn't always the case. Do you feel like it's like kind of a low pressure way for them to be doing this stuff where it doesn't feel like a regular classroom to them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so much value actually in teaching outside of the classroom where you're grading kids and that's like uh, so much more authority, you know? And I think that is like one of the first thing that can go in a kid is like not wanting to be told what to do. and be stuck in school you know and if you're doing an after school activity or if you're in a library or if you're in like a art after school nonprofit, which I've done too um it's just fun you know they're just like having a good time it's no longer school they aren't under pressure there isn't like a headmaster there's no one yelling at them yeah and what age kids do you usually work with so I have worked with all ages basically I've even gone up to college and adults. So I've worked with pre-K to 12th grade. Um, I'm a big sucker for middle school students. I think they're really, really fun and they come up with really fun ideas. And I think it's like they have so much energy and I really love that in an art classroom. Um, I also have a lot of experience with elementary school students, just um, community centers doing like arts. Think <laughs> if I'm not making it clear, I've taught like all over, <laughs> like all sorts of places, because um, everyone wants to draw comics, right? So I've done lots and lots of elementary age classes, and I've done a smattering of teens classes, because I think once you hit your teenage years, you've decided you're either an artist or you're not an artist. And so I've taught like the art kids before, and then it's like very serious, and it's totally a different situation. And then I've also taught, I'm currently a high school art teacher, actually, and it's sort of a new position. It's only been for the last couple of years. And so I've just started teaching a high school level art class in a school. So it's not like the art kids, right? So it's just like just kids and just getting them to have fun drawing comics has been a blast. Um, So in summary, I've done all ages, basically. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. So how does that work? Can you give us a little bit of an inside look of like you're in an elementary school or a middle school or a high school classroom and you're like, okay, we're going to do a comics project. Are you just like, okay, comics, go. Or is there <laughs> is there more like is there more like background or setup? Like how how does it work to get those kids the right tools they need to be able to be at the part where they're like, yes, we can take it from here. So I should say, I should have said this at the top of the episode, but I also have an education website called comicarted.com where I try to document my work. 
Um, so if you're interested in the, in this stuff, um, I am trying to share as much information as I can that of my experience. So one, I love to share published works. Um, I love to share, you know, age appropriate comics with the kids. I usually, whenever I come to a school or a community center, I'm usually touting giant boxes <laughs> full of comics. I like to show kids comics and then, um, and then get ask them like the vocabulary of comics. There's like words, there's pictures, there's characters, there's panels, all this stuff. Usually one kid will know the word panel. They'll be like boxes, you know. <laughs> it's they don't need to know the perfect word for the vocabulary, right? And then so I love to show them all, a huge range of stuff, like just like all sorts of visual types, different aesthetics. And I actually think that's really, really important because when you're starting in a classroom, you don't know where any, you know, you don't know the history of your students. And so um, you want to kind of head off their associations of comics at the past, right? You want to be like, comics isn't just Batman or Superman. Comics can be anything. So I really, really try to get like indie comics, like any, all sorts of visual qualities. And like, I love to share like Linda Berry and Melissa Mendes and like these um, artists who use like really simplistic styles to show that you can be a professional artist at any level of like quote unquote skill in drawing to try to loosen them up. And then uh, usually I start with just doodle games. Like I just try to get them very, very, very comfortable with the act of drawing. Elementary school kids are all like, yeah, I can totally absolutely draw. Um, but you know, as a, as humans get older they're starting to be like i can't draw or something or like i can draw but it takes me a really long time or i can draw but i can only draw puppies you know or like that cool s or something and then <laughs> <laughs> so i try to just be like i have all these games I, I call them drawing games it's something i picked up from um my mentor uh walker metling to just be like collaborative like monster drawing game where everyone comes up with a different feature. Um, I call that monster matchup where it's like, oh, um, Jimmy's going to come up with, say, uh, you have to draw 15 cat eyes on this monster. And then uh, Nancy next to Jimmy is going to say, we have to draw like six dog ears or something, right? I get a little tongue-tied when I'm trying to come up with things. Kids are better at them, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> and then like a vampire mouth or something. So it's just like all about the ideas and that the idea and the drawing are together, right? So it can be like a drawing, I can draw a really good face, right? That's like a thing that teens say. But it's a little frustrating because you're like, that's kind of like a boring face. you like, you just drew like a human, you know? And so I think it's really important in comics class and cartooning class to be like, you can just draw the funnest thing in the world and it can just be like, <laughs> I don't know, a Pegasus with like, instead of wings it has rocket ships and its tail is like a bunch of snakes and all this stuff and it's just like really fun to draw and it's fun to look at and i think that's the kind of value that i want in my comics class is that it's just really fun and it makes you want to draw and it makes you want to tell stories and it also makes you want to write and experience literacy and share your ideas with other kids it's that kind of like excitement that i'm trying to cultivate especially at the very beginning of class it, well, it's it's funny because like even as an adult, like a working cartoonist, I still struggle with that. I'm like I'm right now. I'm trying to make myself draw short 
fast comics because like mm-hmm. it's really easy to just be like, no, this is how you make comics. It's like, okay, well, maybe you could make a version of a comic that only takes you in an hour to draw a page instead of a day to draw a page and see how that goes. And you don't have to show anybody if it's bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually, I mean, I take a lot of cues from Linda Berry. I use her book, What It Is, and also her book, uh, Syllabus. And in both those books, she talks about like what makes a drawing good or what makes a drawing bad. And then in the end, the drawing is still there. Like it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It still exists and it's still like talking to us. And so like getting kids to sort of embrace that idea um, is sort of the key aspect. And I also think like thinking about professionalism, and I think that's the difference between teaching elementary and middle school ages and older ages, because when you get to like the college level or something, those are people who are like want to draw comics and they want to be professional cartoonists, right? But teaching elementary and middle schoolers, it's like what I'm trying to get them to do is like everyone can draw, everyone can be an artist, and it's like really fun. And I'm just trying to teach any kind of kid that these are like qualities to learn, or, you know, like being creative and impulsive and self-confident and um, sharing stories and communicating and empathy through like art. All those are values that I think everyone can share, whether you want to grow up and be a professional cartoonist or not. Yeah. And so that's so what that's what I emphasize rather than like technique or something like that. So can you actually talk a little more about why comics are important and why it's important to have them in the classroom? Uh, so this is me being like, so I read your master's thesis. <laughs> <laughs> can you please give us the Gina has like, cheated. short version <laughs> of like why having comics in the classroom is valuable for students? So I think it actually comes a lot down to um, accessibility and ableism. So like um, being accessible to um, people who are disabled or people who are neurodivergent rather than neurotypical, which is like a lot of students, right? It's a lot of children. And what can happen is that if kids are not being taught in a way that they can understand early on, it just that gap widens, right? So I sort of really strongly believe that comics can help push sort of closing that gap of educational experiences, right? So a lot of classrooms really focus on verbal learning. Um, A lot of classrooms use a lot of speech, which is funny to be talking about on a podcast without any visuals. So like a lot of classrooms are like, here are your instructions. It's all very, very written down, right? But if you think about communication, if you only use words the full idea doesn't come across, right? Because um, your the original idea can t- kind of deteriorate in the mind of the listener, right? So if you're just saying something with words without any sort of images, you aren't fully communicating. And so I think comics is like really sort of the epitome of being able to do visual and verbal communication, right? If you're asking a child to uh, write and draw, um, and they can go back and forth between those two modes, the, two, the modes of visual and verbal communications, 
um, those two things can actually kind of scaffold off of each other and become uh, more than the sum of its parts, right? So I'm like waving my hands around right now. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> so um, you're able to speak both visually and verbally to not only come up with your own ideas in these like really fully using your mind in different ways and you're going back and forth between these modes, but also your reader and the person that you're communicating with is going to get so much more because they're going to get your words, but they're also going to get your imagery and an image can say so much over a longer period of time rather than a, a sentence just says says it as like unimodal, right? It just has that one thing that's saying, but an image can say so much. Um, and it's a lot of what we talk about in art education, right? Is that there's so much power in the image. And also, if you're thinking about like English language education, you can like harken back to the early days of comics in North America and how when they were published in newspapers, it was like a huge, huge way that recent immigrants who maybe don't didn't speak English when they um, came to North America, when they came to the United States, um, would read the newspaper comics, and they would that would help them with language acquisition because there's so much context clues, there's so much environmental clu- clues that you can start to pick up a language and you can read without really knowing all the words. And so that's really valuable not only in students who are English language learners, but it's also really valuable in any any human, but any child who's just reading, right? Because they have, can pick up on so many more visual clues and start to understand with context. And um, that kind of context is really only something that an image can give. So I think comics are really accessible, really welcoming to all sorts of different experiences. And it helps kids... Um, push past their comfort zones as well. I mean, I really, (laughs) you've probably already noticed, but I really don't like to name uh, the places because I work with minors. So I don't really like to name organizations that I work with, but I worked with an organization where uh, students were still like really like struggling. Like English was their first language, but just like in underprivileged situations, um, in different kinds of situations in which they were struggling with literacy, right? And they were older kids and they have so much association with school and with English classrooms with failure that it makes it really hard to try, right? It's like, doesn't matter how encouraging you are. It can still be like, you want me to write a poem? That, like, like, what is a poem? That doesn't say anything to me about my life, right? And then I've like worked with that child in the ELA classroom, English language arts classroom and then I've moved with that same group of kids down to my art classroom and um, we've started drawing comics and started writing comic stories and they'll be drawing a cool character and I'm like oh cool like what's a story that that character can do and you know they'll tell me the story and they'll be like oh and then he's like an alien who like wants to travel the space but you know that this planet you know it has like his friends are all on another planet, you know, like it's so easy to get kids talking and telling you a story. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like, I want to read that story. Like, like write that story down right now. And then they'll start writing the story and they're like, oh, how do you spell this? How do you spell this? And they're like, feel really, really excited and confident about it because they've, they are able to draw at the same time. And it's just fun. (laughs) And so I've just watched kids completely break out of their comfort zones and break out of their shells just like letting them draw a picture is like so awesome 
It's so interesting because, like, I, I mean, obviously I'm an adult and I'm in a very different situation than, like, a child in school mm-hmm. who's learning how to read. But, like, I, I can really relate to that feeling, though, of, like, it can be very intimidating to do an illustration in a way that it isn't to draw a page. Like, I, I like the idea that you're sort of distracting them from fixating on this one. Like, it's just becoming a tool to get them to the place where they're going so no individual element is, like, freaking them out. It's, like this chain of stuff they have to get through so they can get the cool story onto the page and not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, it doesn't matter what, I mean, that can be the coolest drawing ever, but you're going to have to draw it again in the next panel and then again in the next panel. So you may as well (laughs) just draw it really fast and fun. Yeah. Draw a shitty alien. You can draw it faster. Yeah. And then they want to learn words and then write these sentences because and then it's because part of it is sharing like they're not sharing with me. I mean, they are. But like like when you're writing a poem, it feels like you're just writing that for your teacher. Right. But if you're writing a comic book story, you're like sharing that with your friends and it's really fun and you want your friends to be able to read it. Right. And so that's not saying that you have to be the perfect speller in the world or have perfect sentences, but you need to like be able to communicate to other human beings. Right. And that's sort of the value is that you are creating a new language to communicate with. And so it's good to learn like literacy, right? Because you really want to tell this story and rather than like someday in your future, you're really going to, you know, like it's lecturing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, do you want to get into college? And it's like, well, I don't know. I'm in eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously you teach comics in the art class, but do you feel like comics have a use beyond the art class for elementary and secondary students? Yeah. So I really emphasize because I'm an art educator, I really emphasize on creation of comics, but I also bring in, I think, if I'm asking them to draw them, uh, they should. we should be looking and reading it as much as possible, right? And I think it's really valuable. So um, in this year, 2019, as like a human race, we are very, very, very um, visual. Like we have a lot of media around us, but like small five-minute videos are the way that we're getting our news and stuff like that rather than like, Hard journalism, right? And even the hard journalism has a lot of pictures in it. (laughs) It's true. It's true. It's true. You read the New York Times and it's full of pictures all over the place. (laughs) And so I have like, so it's like I have like a thousand ideas swirling around and I'm like, what this one and this one? I'm just grabbing. It's great. (laughs) Um, So it's really important to learn visual literacy. And by visual literacy, what I mean is to be able to look at an image and to decipher the context, um, look at the color and like be like what time of day it is, um, where it's happened, the type of camera it is, if you're talking about images in a newspaper or something like that. So to be able to read images is um, like a crucial part of being a human being, right? And I actually think kids are really, really learning it, right? Because we are spending more and more time in front of screens, right? It's actually something that comes up a lot in education is getting kids iPads and like trying to figure out how to use screens in an educational way um, because uh, social media and YouTube is like so, 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 so popular in that age group, in that middle school age group. And I think if a child has experienced something, they should be taught it in school, 
right? So if they are consuming this media through visual methods, um, they should be taught how to be a critical reader, how to be a critical consumer. And part of that is just practicing, is part of that is reading images continually, right? So we are asking kids to read uh, word books um, a lot because we want kids to be really, really well-versed in English, be able to communicate well, um, be able to read anything that they want to and be critical readers of it. And I think, I just I just feel strongly that we should be teaching visual literacy as much as we're teaching like word literacy, right? Because that is a value that for all <laughs> humans on the earth today. Do you think that there is use of comics and graphic novels beyond the English class in things like science or history? I mean, yeah. Okay, so if we're thinking about history, history is a little easier because it's a humanities class. So we look at paintings of George Washington, right? So we look at fine art paintings. And if you're showing a student a fine art painting, you should be talking about the context in which the painter is painting and their time period and things like that. And so, and we're also asking kids to read biographies and things like this. So uh, to learn about historical figures. Um, so a historical graphic novel is only those two things put together, right? We are only looking at images of a historical moment and we're also reading about it, right? And I think it's really valuable, but also I think it's really valuable to look at it through, you know, like thinking about things critically, right? So maybe the artist isn't going to be drawing this um the battle of waterloo perfectly um but the painter isn't painting it perfectly either even though he was painting in the 1700s so even if it's drawn modern it doesn't mean it's any less historical than like a painter because a painter is going to be painting it really like um heroically and things like this and so um it's there's always going to be a lens of the author and same with textbooks and if we aren't examining textbooks through the lens of an author um, then we are uh, doing our students a disservice, right? So I'm sort of answering an argument that no one has posed to me. But <laughs> <laughs> so I've never thought about it in science. But if if we're looking at it as visual and verbal learning and the values of interdisciplinary education, I think any sort of information that you're using to sort of be able to communicate in any many methods, right? Um, as educators, something that we learn. And how to be a teacher is that a student doesn't understand something unless they are told that same thing three different times in three different ways. So that's why student teachers might say something out loud and then write it on the board and then give a handout or something. Because students are like inundated all day with information from different teachers who want them to learn something, right? So if you want a student to understand something, you have to communicate it in different methods, right? And so comic books, if you had science or history comic books, um, that is only another way for a student to learn information. Um, so if the more information to share in the funnest way possible, the better, as I say, as an educator. So it, so as the author from the first second science comic series, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the, it, it's funny because I, I I've been in a couple panels where people are talking about that side of things, and the big thing that I think the idea is that for particularly things like science, uh, it's comics are not good for giving you a ton of very, very detailed information because, like, there's only so much you can fit on a page. Like, you can't have, like, a giant list of text in the way you can in a book, right? But they're really good for communicating 
concepts. And then maybe you can go to this textbook or your lecture to then fill in the details now that you have the conceptual framework to like have those details mean something to you, I think is the idea a lot of the time for science comics. Anyway, that's the hope. That makes tons of sense, right? So like, I I mean, in education, there's something known as scaffolding. I've mentioned it already, but like it's um, scaffolding upon different ideas. So if a student doesn't understand a concept of an idea they're not going to be able to understand the details right mm-hmm. so if you hand a kid a <laughs> a mechanic handbook I, that might not be super interesting to a lot of kids but if they've already read a fun comic book about engines they might be like oh i sort of there's a few things in this that i recognize and then i can start to build off of that knowledge i think if you are against scaffolding tools, then you are against, I don't know, elementary school in any capacity because <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you need tools at all levels. <laughs> so I cut you off earlier while you were finishing up about visual literacy. And I apologize. Is there oh. is there more about visual literacy that we should all be learning? Uh, just like thinking about the values of approaching kids in nonverbal ways um it's beneficial for students who are english language learners it's beneficial for students who are neurodivergent and may not um communicate uh, orally or thinking about it as like a well-rounded education a holistic education um th- thinking about uh, visual literacy as a way of um, including everyone um if it's not clear uh equity and inclusion is deeply important to me and my teaching practice because i think everyone learns the best if they're all together and i think um it's only detrimental to separate kids um so i think everyone should be learning in the same classroom and if you're going to be teaching everyone in the same classroom um you should be teaching in methods that can reach different kids in different ways right so you talked about a few books that you use to help in the classroom like books that you bring to your students uh, either because you're assigning them or you're just having them available in the classroom. Like, mm-hmm. how often are you using graphic novels in the classroom and are, like, other other the particular things that you think make them useful? Uh, you talked about this a little bit before, but did you have any more to say about that? Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about equity and inclusion, um, I basically obsessively collect any uh, comic book um, or graphic novel, like, skinny comics as well as, like, thicker comics. So... <laughs> You know, this is the podcast for graphic novelists, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, um, I have to carry them all. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I like the skinny ones, too. Um, um, but basically, I obsessively collect anything that I find that has a um, protagonist who is of color and or, and, or a, a queer protagonist so that when I am bringing books... To a classroom, I am bringing uh, this imagery of inclusion, right? So, like, imagery of, like, everyone in the world, right? So, that's sort of, like, a key aspect of what I'm doing. So, not only a diversity of aesthetics and, like, skills in drawing, right? So, like, different types of comics, like, the way they look, but also in, like, the characters who are on the pages, right? Um, And I think, especially in younger ages... You know, it's changing, but it's changing slowly, right? So, like, kids come with their concepts of stereotypes, um, especially if you are in a comic book 
classroom and if you're trying to make jokes and kids are trying to be funny, they can often use jokes that might be stereotypical jokes and they can be harmful, right? So to just like bring in imagery that is like inclusive of like different voices and different characters. Um, so not only who is visually depicted on the page, but also who creates the page, you know, that's important as well. So that is another value of bringing in uh, this imagery. I don't have the research paper in front of me, but there's research that um, in a classroom with Latino students, the difference between the classroom with bare walls and the classroom in which there was a poster that showed a Latino person, the kids in the classroom learned better. Like they scored better just by seeing a single poster of someone who looked like them, right? Who reflected their family. So there's like research out there for why this is really, really important, right? To be inclusive in your visual materials, not only in like what you're teaching and all sorts of stuff. There's like, it's really, really important to be inclusive in all facets of a classroom, but visual materials is one of them. So that's one is there other stuff that you look for in kind of like art style or story content? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I just if it has a, if it has a character of color, I'm buying it. I'm just buying it as long as it's age appropriate. I won't buy it if it has a white boy as the protagonist. I'm just going to be honest uh, because the kids are seeing those images all the time. They don't need it from me. They get it from everywhere, right? Um, so. That, that's just not where I want to be putting my money and that's not what I, where, what I want in my classroom, right? I'm like, you guys can't see me. I'm dramatically pointing to my huge pile of kids' comics that I bring to classrooms and just trying to think about them. Uh, what else am I looking for? Gosh, is it horrible that I, I just care about what it looks like, like who the characters are? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, I think that every teacher has a different thing that they're doing in terms of like curation for their classroom and like yours is accessibility to your students which makes a lot of sense yeah yeah it is the students deserve to be able to see themselves and be able to see their neighborhoods and their families and what they're reading yeah so are, i mean i know that probably actually i don't know um are you ever involving uh the cartoonists thems- or the writers themselves like if you brought any comics people into your classroom uh for any of the kinds of classes that you've taught to like interact with the kids I've never done that. And actually, I very, very rarely show the kids my own artwork. (laughs) And (laughs) part of the reason why is that I just don't want kids to feel intimidated. You know, like, I just want to be like, hey, anyone can do this. Like, I'll draw monsters in front of them. And like, I don't actually like I don't draw monsters. I only draw monsters with kids. So I'm not like a monster artist. Like I know there are professional (laughs) monster artists or whatever. (laughs) Increasingly, yes. (laughs) So like, like I'll just doodle along with the kids. Right. Um, So it's really rare for me to be like, here's like my artwork because I just really don't want it to be intimidating at all. You know, like Hmm. because it's too often that I'll draw and then kids are like, Wow, how how did you draw that? How did you do that? And I'm like, oh, you know, I've been drawing for 30 years. And then they're they're like, I want to draw exactly like you draw. And it's just like, mm. it's like not the focus that I want in my classroom. So I'm sort of coming around to it. Because also another reason why I don't show kids my comics is that I've just never had comics appropriate for children. Um, my 
first book has like some suggestive scenes. It has some swears. My second book has swears, which I'm constantly kicking myself for. Cause like the second book it's titled gorgeous. It's from, um, Koyama press. It has like adult, like the story is like an adult story. Like, I don't think it would be too interesting for kids, but I can't even bring the book in because it has like two swear words. And I'm just like, why did I do those two swear words? Like, I- can you just wipe them out and write a different word over it? I, I wish I could. Uh, maybe I'll do that. I, you know, I'm still like, how can I can't like ruin a book, but <laughs> Be- book purism. This is outside the realm of, like, what we've brought you onto the podcast to talk about, but I'm curious, because, like, your book Breakaways just came out. Do you think you're going to do a lot of school visits for that? Because it is a middle grade book. Yes. So I didn't have anything for kids, and then I was teaching kids for years, and then I was like, I'm going to make something for kids. Like, I was like, it's so stupid that I don't have anything that I can show them if I wanted to. Um, So, yeah, that was, like, a huge... That's, like, the number one reason why I wanted to make the Breakaways, was to be, like... Um, here's a book for you. Like I made this for you guys, right? So I've done a few school visits already. They've been awesome. <laughs> it's really, really fun. It's definitely a different approach, right? Um, wait, sorry. Can we just uh, pause a minute to say what is a school visit? Oh, that's true. We haven't talked about those yet. Yeah, we haven't talked about them before at all. So if people are listening to this podcast <laughs> and they are like. What is this thing? How Presumably you visit a school. Can, can we start there with this explanation? So a school visit is when you're an author and you go to a school for like an hour to sort of sell your book, right? So when I got invited to do one, I was like, wait, what, what do you do? <laughs> and like everyone, everyone's answer, like my agent and my publicist were like, oh, you just go and, um, I don't know, you draw in front of the kids or something, and that's it. And you talk about your book. <laughs> and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> that sounds really, like, not enough stuff, you know? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like a full hour of, like, me standing in front of kids talking about my book sounds, like, so hard, right? <laughs> it's so funny because it's like I'm flipping the script. On, when you're a teacher, I'm just always like, Kids, kid, like you and your creation and you, it has nothing to do with me. I'm a, like, I'm, I don't exist. I am a catalyst for your learning, right? And so as a author visit, it's like, wait, I'm the, like, star of the show. Like, they're here to learn about me and my life. It's, like, almost the complete opposite of being a teacher. Is that a good explanation of school visits? Yeah. No, it's oh, great. It's great. great. Yeah. Okay. Including the terror, which I also feel. <laughs> Because I didn't know, and no one could tell me what to do. I did a nonfiction book, which made it a little bit better, but it was still terrifying. Yeah. Yes, true. Nonfiction, you can be like, I'm, we can learn about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Airplanes, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, I made a slideshow about the book and like the characters of the book. And like um, I realized what I wanted to focus on, what the book has so much to do with, is like feeling like a loser and like f- trying to make friends and having a hard time making friends um, and uh, sort of unity in that. And also, so I talk about um, like my middle school experience and like how I was on this terrible soccer team and we never won a single game. and we- I never earned a single goal. Like we didn't get a single goal the whole season. And so like that is something like I can make 
uh, I can make a room of 200 kids laugh about that, right? Like, like that's definitely an experience that is, like, really funny, right? And then um, I'm sort of going off on a tangent on my specific school visits. No, we asked. We, so, we did ask. So you, you go there, you do some sort of AV presentation. Yes. That gets the kids engaged with you. Ironically, you have to draw for children a thing you've deliberately avoided doing very much of. Yes, and that's the funny thing. Allie, I realize I don't have a middle ground to draw. I either draw really good or I'm just doodling. Like, I don't have like, a good middle ground looking drawing style. Um, so I did a, for like some kids in Tucson that I went and visited, um, we did like, so I showed them what a book pitch was, which you guys have talked about on your show. Yeah. Um, so I showed them what a book pitch was, and then I was like, okay, like let's make our own book pitch, and let's create some characters, and let's create a scenario for those characters, and then all the kids raised their hands, and it was like total mayhem, it was awesome, I, <laughs> I really love a really loud room full of kids, um, <laughs> and all the teachers were like, wow, you um, are much more comfortable with kids than most visiting people. <laughs> here's a hot tip for graphic novelists kids are really loud but if they're being loud about what you're talking about then that's really awesome right (laughs) yeah basically means they're excited and they're interested and they want to engage with you yeah it's so interesting because it do you feel like this is going to end up being sort of a thing where your experience as a teacher you're bringing to how you're then handling essentially like this very different classroom, but still a classroom type thing, like a bunch of kids and you're supposed to be telling them something for an hour. Do you think you're going to be then sort of bringing some of that back into your classroom again in terms of like, oh, this is something I wouldn't normally do and this was interesting or... Oh, interesting. Like, will I talk about my own books with the kids and like talk about... Or drag other poor cartoonists into your own classroom. Right. Make them do it. Or, you know, gain experience about, I don't know, talking about your past or doing book pitches with kids or, um, you know, something The book pitch like idea is great. PowerPoint presentations and be Thank like, you. yeah, like this works for what I can do in my art class. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think they definitely are hand in hand, right? So I, I think at the core of my... Um, career as I'm an artist and I want to be creating work for people. So a lot of those people are like young people, right? And so if I can find ways to engage with kids in, on a level, an artistic level, I feel like I'm being artistically fulfilled, right? Um, so if it's like a school visit or if it's an art classroom, um, there's an excitement about creativity that is sort of like my life's passion, right? <laughs> it's almost like I, when we were talking about earlier, it was like I definitely made a book for kids so I could go and share it with them, you know? Like, I like and visit them and draw with them, you know? It's like so much of what I, like, want to be doing with my life. Well, I think that's part of why The Breakaways is so successful as a book is it's coming both from a place of experience like you actually know a bunch of different kids that age in your real life and you aren't just drawing in some distant memory of what middle school is like mm-hmm. but you also genuinely love those kids and have a lot of enthusiasm both for telling their stories and communicating with them and that obviously is going to help make for a better book oh thank 
Thank you. <laughs> Dude, I've been telling everybody to read your goddamn book. I've been yelling about your book since like last year. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 definitely coming from a place of like deep sincerity for its readers and for its characters. <laughs> it's very true. So two more kind of more uh business-oriented questions about school visits. And one of them is, how do they get organized? I am still new. I'm still new. Uh, you definitely know, know way more about it, Gina. Yeah, but um, Gina wants to know your version of it. Like, yeah. she wants to have you explain it to her for her entertainment. And I also am interested about how you, as an author... Have get involved. It? If you are like, I, Kathy G. Johnson, wish for school visits, like... Are you going out and talking to schools? Are you emailing your agent about it? Are you emailing your publisher? Like you were saying, you were in Tucson for a book festival. Like how did the school visits get involved? Like Mm -hmm. how are all of those things kind of coming together? Yeah. So I'm mostly self-published. Like for years and years and years, I was a self-published cartoonist. My first two books are both with independent publishers, right? They're indie publishers. And then when I decided that I wanted to do a kid's comic I was very pointedly, I wanted to choose a larger publisher. And specifically, that was because um, kids don't like it's rare for kids to go to comic book conventions to get independent comic books, like getting independent comic books to their right audience. If they're for kids is like a very difficult pathway. Right. Um, So I was like, I'm going to go with a publisher who's experienced in distributing and publicizing to schools and libraries and and its actual audience, which is kids, right? Because you can't email a middle schooler. <laughs> like, it's like, the, the, you can't set, they don't follow you on Instagram. Like, it's like so weird. It's like mysterious to reach them, right? And so I was like, I'm going to go with a bigger publisher, First Second has been amazing in that. They've been distributing it. Like every day I get a new middle school teacher following me on Twitter. It's awesome. That's so great. Yeah. And so like it's that's why I chose this publisher was specifically because that audience isn't is a hard audience to reach on your own as an artist. Right. And so um, the school visits came about because I talked to by my publicist um, at first second, uh, Alexandra Hernandez. Hi, Alex. <laughs> um, <laughs> I talked to her about, I was like, I'm a teacher. I am awesome with kids. I've, I do this pitch like constantly all the time. I'm like, I really want to teach kids. Like I am awesome. And they're really, it's really fun. I would have a good time. They'll have a good time. <laughs> um, and so she's been, um, finding those opportunities for me. And so for Tucson Festival of Books, um, that was the festival itself helps place um, authors with schools. So I actually got placed to an arts school, like for middle schoolers. It was like a really cool place because I was a graphic novelist because it was like a proper book festival and there was only a few graphic novelists at the festival all the events I did were graphic novel events, <laughs> which is different than a comic book convention. This oh. is all very helpful for people to hear because this is all very mysterious to people, I think. I think that that whole thing of like festivals kind of organizing things locally is something that I didn't know about until pretty recently, that that was how that worked a lot of the time because they're better yeah. equipped than like a publicist who lives in New York to know the 
particulars of the landscape of the local school system. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, I did a school visit in Brooklyn that the publicist set up. And um, it's interesting. So it's like a funny relationship because you need... So it's mostly like independent bookstores are the ones who have relationship with with schools, right? So the publicist actually talks to the independent bookstore who then sets up the school visit because they are going to bring the books and sell the books, um, which is a funny thing because another thing that kids don't have is money. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's very odd trying to sell a kid's book <laughs> because the people that you're selling to, like your actual audience, like they have is are hard to reach and they have no money. <laughs> Yeah. So that was going to be my other question about the the finances involved in that. So like for you, what is the financial like outlay that makes it worthwhile for you to visit a school? Is it the school paying you? Is it the school purchasing books? Like how does that work? Yeah. So um, I think so far I haven't been paid by a school. I get paid by a school when I am just being a teacher, like when I do a teaching gigs or when I've been a visiting artist in classrooms, which I've done a lot or done lectures, um, I get paid an honorarium for that or a stipend or whatever. Um, but in the capacity of being an author, a visiting author, I haven't been paid um, because the idea is that, you know, they're going to be selling my book and they want to be spending that money on the books, right? It's kind of like a secondary relationship, but you do get money every time a copy of the book is sold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, I have, like, my advance. Um, It's too early. It's only been a month now since we're recording this, since the book came out. So I haven't gotten any sort of, like, sales statements or anything. But I'm earning royalties against my advance right now with every book sale. Um, So even though I don't get that money now, I either have gotten it in my advance or I will get it (laughs) in royalties, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also my impression is also about sort of building your relationship with those bookstores and with the teachers. Cause like you are very good at working with kids. So they'll remember like, Oh, Hey, remember when we had Kathy, that was great. We should like have her again. Or like I'm organizing this conference where we're actually paying people. We should invite Kathy to like come to this conference. Cause she really rocked it in our classroom this one time. (laughs) Like, I'm not kidding. Like this is kind of how I don't, I don't know how well, you know, Melanie Gilman, but they also like love working with students and love teaching comics. And I feel like they've really been able to kind of carve out a good sort of part-time job for themselves, just teaching in different classrooms. And, and it's just because they've been doing it and they, uh, people keep asking to come back to stuff. Yeah. That's, that's exactly my career. Like I'm a cartoonist and I'm a artist. I consider my career an artist career. And then a part of that capacity is taking teaching gigs and being a teacher. Um, I sort of consider it all under the umbrella of my artist career. Um, and so you're absolutely right in that even if I don't get a, a, a check for when I do a school visit, I um, am building a, my career, right? It's like going to conventions or something um, and just like meeting people. And um, so you won't necessarily be like fully in the green or, <laughs> you know, for every comic book convention that you go to. But it's really, really 
um, good for your career, right? Because otherwise you are alone in your room uh, writing comic books and no one's looking at them and no one who's you, knows who you are, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I really feel like uh, getting out there and visiting people is um, really important to your career. But also, that's just the way I want to be living my life. You know, like, I, like all I want to do is visit schools and, like, talk to librarians and teachers about education. All I want to do is talk about education like we're doing right now. All I want to do is talk about comics. That's, like, 100% what I want from my life, right? This so- is very relatable. <laughs> So I'm like, that's how I want to be spending my time. You know, it's just the life that I want. So I feel like if you want a career um, and and you're but your only end goal is the one that's like years away. Right. If you're like trying to be like a tenured professor or something, but you aren't enjoying what's getting you there. Sometimes all you're ever going to get is what you're like, you're not necessarily going to get the bestseller. You're going to get these fun school visits. So hopefully you should enjoy the school visits. Right. Am I making yeah. sense? <laughs> no, it's great. And, and also, I feel like there's a lot of um, conversation in a bunch of kind of overlapping communities that uh, that you're in, and I'm in slightly different ones. There's like the community of teachers, there's a community of queer people, there's a community of artists. Uh, in all of these communities, there's also the sort of theme of the importance of mentorship, and it's just a, a very particular mode of that. I feel like teaching is sort of like mentorship on hard mode almost you're just like i'm gonna change all these children's lives (laughs) (laughs) but i mean you are oh thank you i've been for the last two years have been thesis advisors for uh center for cartooning studies in vermont so i have done that capacity so i i mean that career that you outlined with that melanie gilliman has is like 100 percent what i do i take gigs all the time i love visiting places it's just the what i want to be doing I'm also a, a, like a classroom teacher, like during the day too, and I'm uh, actually like working on my next graphic novel in between classes, <laughs> which makes me feel so uh, Tolkien or something, because Tolkien was an English teacher. <laughs> yes, there's the Tolkien exhibit up at the Morgan Library right now, and <gasps> there's a lot of the exam books that he like drew Middle Earth drawings oh in God. and drew different maps in and drew drew out like all the concepts of That's so cool. Uh, yeah. So it's like all of my all of my students were taking this linguistics exam and I took an extra exam booklet to like write about elves in. I know. Draw, draw some elf ears and elf sunsets. I've actually talked with the other art teachers who uh, and we're, we're like we we I walked by that math te- like the math classroom and they were taking a test and the teacher was just like sitting there it's like a whole break like why don't as art teachers why don't we get to give tests (laughs) (laughs) seems so easy (laughs) then you have to grade all the tests Uh. yeah so if somebody's listening to this and they're like yes yes to all of this what uh what are some things that somebody can do if they want to get involved in uh, education, either generally or uh, art education specifically? Yeah, so um, art education um, is a tricky one. It's getting cut from classrooms in the sense that uh, Common Core values and scoring high on tests is actually the way in which uh, schools get money. Uh, Betsy DeVos, our wonderful Department <laughs> of Education head, um, is assuring of that, um, which is really uh, too bad. And so sort of um, the traditional means of becoming an art teacher is um, 
I think difficult is a difficult pathway. I think there's a lot of competition in jobs. Um, but what I would say the pathway that I've taken and the pathway that I know a lot of, um, my peers, my immediate peers have taken is, um, one of just getting involved in your community. Right. So I, started as a teacher just like working in after school uh, libraries um i started to get involved in nonprofits in my local community um there's all sorts of people who are serving um the children of your community and a good way to do that is education so i think you should get involved in your local community get to know the nonprofits get to know the people who are doing it a lot of places who do art um, after school, especially um, nowadays, where it's going to be the end of the school year, um, they are going to have shows and events and to show uh, showcase the students' work. So I suggest that you go and visit community centers and visit these nonprofits who are going to have these shows, um, introduce yourself, um, get to know your communities. Um, and that's how um, you're going to start to get involved um, another thing is I lived below the poverty line for a really long time, and it's a choice that I've made. Um, I'm an artist and I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm not expecting to be a millionaire. So it was something that I saw a lot of value in. If you're volunteering your time or if you're not making a lot of money, um, there's still so much value in giving back to your community, if only uh, working with kids after school so they actually have somewhere to go after school that's safe or um, genuinely getting to teach kids who are really interested in arts. Like sometimes you're just entertaining a kid in the afternoon and that's totally okay. There's so much value in that. And um, so I just started getting involved in my community for years and years. And that is essentially it. Like I just got to know my community and I got involved and it's just grown and people just know who I am and they ask <laughs> Basically, you could take where I moved to in Providence and just spiral out all the gigs and jobs I get, right? <laughs> just spiral out. So you go up to New Hampshire, you go down to Connecticut, and then you get hit, start to hit to New Jersey and New York, and then you're starting to hit New Hampshire, <laughs> Massachusetts. I, I drive to them all and do all, I do it all. Um, and it's all just because uh, people have gotten to know me um, and I've gotten to know them. Um, anyway, that's my big pitch in getting to know your local community and volunteering your time. <laughs> Which, frankly, we should all be probably doing more of anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you should. There's a lot of value in it. And I know you have a master's degree. Uh, is that something that you find that schools are looking for in art teachers? Ooh, interesting question. In art teachers. Um, so I was teaching for many years um locally i got to be a really good teacher um through experience and after doing that for about four or five years i started to realize i wasn't because they they're really low paying gigs right these are nonprofits. <laughs> they're libraries like maybe they can throw me 20 bucks right so um i started to realize i wanted to learn more about education because I had just experience like I've never taken a class in education like I wanted to learn more and then on the other end was my resume which had tons of experience in nonprofits and after schools but not within a classroom for a full-time position or something like that right and so it was like a resume that was easy to toss away once you start talking to me Kathy G Johnson the friendly charismatic person I 
am a good interviewer, but like my resume wasn't looking up to snuff, right? For the jobs um, that would pay me a living wage. Um, and so I decided to go back to school to learn uh, what I wanted to learn and then also to get that credential on my resume. I'm just being real, right? I, I, I've told people this who are like considering going to get a master's degree. I uh, was like, the doors that opened for me in job applications, they just started swinging right open when I, they, it's just said I had a master's degree. And then once I'm in through the doors, then I'm just my charismatic self talking about the after school kids, right? Like I'm not talking about like my big fancy degree because if I just am sitting, I have experience with kids. Right? <laughs> like that's actually what people <laughs> want to talk about. They don't want to talk about my, my A plus in my art education class. You know what I mean? So, um, but I just got through whoever that administrator was who was getting resumes and was getting too many because there's a lot of art teachers and there's not a lot of art teaching jobs um, who was getting the resumes and just throwing people out who didn't who only had bachelors. So it's a ticky box kind of in a way. As in you've ticked the box. Yeah, I really I really strongly think I was starting to get looked at. And then it's it's just it's like such a bummer if you start to think about it because it's like I got through the door because I happened to have that and I could have totally done the jobs <laughs> before yeah. I got my master's degree. I learned a lot. Don't get me wrong. I learned a lot in my master's program and I'm deeply thankful to have done it. It really it changed my life. Um, but I also feel like I would I was a great art teacher before and I'm still a great art teacher. Okay, so that about concludes our hour of discussion about comics and teachers. <laughs> Kathy, is there anything that we missed that you want to uh, close this out with? Ooh, about being a teacher with... Yeah, about comics and education and being a teacher and... Hmm. I think as a graphic novelist, you should be thinking about your audience. Because if you're making a comic book for kids, it is going to serve a greater purpose than um, just telling a fun story. I think it's easy to only think about the marketplace. It's easy to only think about reviews and Goodreads, but I think it's really valuable. Like I was saying, getting to know your community and getting to know your kids. I got to do a library visit at the library. That's literally like two blocks away from my house and just like neighborhood kids. Um, I think getting to know your kids and getting to know your audience um, makes your book more grounded in reality. And I think that is deeply valuable. I would encourage uh, graphic novelists to get to know who they're writing books for, I think is <laughs> uh, my hot take. <laughs> and can you tell us where our listeners can find you online? Yeah, please plug, plug aggressively. So I have a new graphic novel out. It's titled The Breakaways. Um, I have a landing page for it at thebreakawayscomic.com. Um, it is on, it is hosted on my education website, which again was comicarted.com. C-O-M-I-C-A-R-T-E-D.com, Comic Art Ed. Um, I also have my own podcast. It's called Drawing a Dialogue. It is at drawingadialogue.com. It's also at comicarted.com. On Drawing a Dialogue, we are academics talking about research and how it can apply 
to um, comic books. And so like we've done episodes on incarceration, on uh, transgender identity, on um, masculinity, on autism. Um, so we've done all these things and through the lens of academics and cartoonists. Um, so if you're interested in uh, scholarship and learning, you're already interested in in-depth uh, conversation because you're listening to this one so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might have a lot of overlapping audiences and then you can also follow comic art ed at comic art ed on twitter um and then me the artist the kathy <laughs> the kathy um my actual artist website um which is for mature audiences is kathygjohn.net that's c-a-t-h-y-g-j-o-h-n.net and then you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy G. John. I'm so happy. This is the most thorough. Most people, we ask them what their social media is and like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really use it anymore. Ah. I'm going to be honest. I wrote it down on a post-it note because I have listened to your podcast and I know people do that. <laughs> <laughs> Hot tip. <laughs> write your stuff down Maybe also honestly if you're gonna be on a panel story, also yeah. write all that stuff down beforehand yeah. yeah it's like don't forget to uh, don't forget to thank your agent when you win an award don't forget your own twitter <laughs> when somebody asks you <laughs> okay kathy thank you so much for coming and talking to us and thanks everyone for listening to graphic novel tk time we'll be talking about comics in schools yet again but on the college level so more advanced courses tk awesome graphic novel tk is co-produced by gina gagliano and allison wilgus and is brought to you by the beat you can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com our podcast graphics were created by shivana sokdeo our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com. Graphic Novel TK.